watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at three movies. Moana, Jackie, and Things to Come. And as always, we're going to rate these on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Jason, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back to you Here as we well. are, back in the saddle after Thanksgiving week. Um, I have put on enough weight for both of us. Thank you. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to take that take Next that year, hit. it's me. <laughs> yes, I'm going to hold you to it, too. <laughs> um, making a note in my calendar app. I've been using my calendar. I, I've made the switch. I made the switch from using Moleskine uh, notebooks to actually fully just using my phone for calendar stuff. Oh, wait. You were using a notebook for I've been using appointments? Mol- I've been using Moleskine's. Uh, oh, wow. This yeah, is going to... Deal with it. Um, I've been using those things for years. And this was the year that I did not finish the year still using the one that I bought at the beginning of the year. I finally just switched my phone. Yeah, I've literally been using like paper notebooks this entire time. For as long as you've known me, I've used paper notebooks. Like, Does that change the way you look at me to know that? I mean, it depends on what you use them for. For, I mean, like, everything. For taking notes, I think it makes perfect sense. No, I use them for, like, appointments. I use them for, like, schedules. That's insane to me. <laughs> that is insane. Wait, do I mean, you I carry am a writer. Your, okay. Do you carry it on your <laughs> on your person at all times? It was always in my messenger bag. Yeah. I mean, I, that's problem number one. Uh, <laughs> messenger bags were popular when like, Moleskinas yeah. were popular. <laughs> Listen, um, I never said I was not the worst. Does it have, they, does each page have a date? Yeah. yeah okay, they, well, I guess that makes yeah, it like easier. Each, yeah, it's not like a fully just open notebook. Like, yeah, like I, I, I made that mistake of ordering those by accident before and I won't mistake that mistake So again. when you got like a Facebook event invite, would you go write it in your I would. notebook? Yeah. Yeah, I would go to that day in the notebook and I would write down. I'd be like, B-Day party, Saturday night, Rebecca's. Absolutely. That's... I would just sit there with my little pen and, you know, like... You know, lick the tip of the pen and then just like... That explains that blue mouth you always yes. have. <laughs> Listen, I didn't know it was permanent. Uh, if I had known it's then like the what handmaiden. I know now, it's hindsight. <laughs> it's like the handmaiden. Uh, so, but, you know, and I'm happy to rep for physical media, as I always have and I always will. So That is true. Putting pen to paper is a lost art. But anyway... I've recently been... So, unrelated. Related. Um, <laughs> I've recently made the uh, move to Kindle. Uh, which you know i've put off for a long time because i like physical books Mm -hmm. um but here's the thing like for certain books it's so much more useful to use a kindle like if if there's a book where you need to look up a lot of terms oh sure yeah it is infinitely easier more easy and like in the sense that you can do it at all right well yeah yeah as as opposed to like sitting there with your phone in one hand and the book (laughs) in the other which is ridiculous um, very useful. And then and then I, I can make the compromise to myself while I read it on the Kindle. And if I like mm-hmm. it, I'll go buy the physical copy. And if I don't like it, I won't. And I'll delete it and pretend I never read it. Yeah, right. Um, no one needs to know. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I feel like the rise of the anonymity of using those e-readers is what led to the rise of Fifty Shades. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm the first person to say that, I think. Yeah, and Chuck Tingle. Um, but <laughs> and Chuck Tingle. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I will, I will still always like, I've never met a book that I have not smelled. Um, mm. and I've never once smelled an iPad or any kind of e-reader like that. You don't use an iPad? I do use an iPad, For but, movies. but I don't smell them. 
no, no, I, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about smells here, Rebecca. Keep up. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a little behind. I, also, why can't we ever get uh, publishers on board with the same program when, you know, when you like buy a vinyl record and you get like a digital download code? Mm-hmm. Why? I would pay five bucks extra for the physical book and get the download copy at the same time. Yeah, and, and, and movies are the same way. If you buy a Blu-ray and it has a digital download. What the hell? That's, and some of them, some of them work with iTunes. That. Some of them make you use like Vudu or V-U-D-U. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I never realized sounds like Vudu. No, say it out I never loud. Said that very, loud. <laughs> I feel very upset now. I feel kind of like I've been had. Uh, but no, I did just get Zootopia was on Blu-ray through Amazon for like $7 for Black Friday. Oh, nice. And I got it. And then I did the iTunes digital download and that has all the extras on it. So now, oh. I, so now I'm just going to hawk the Blu-ray and turn a profit um, <laughs> because I don't think the price is below nineteen ninety nine. Wait, on does iTunes. the Blu-ray have the extra items on it? Uh, yeah, the Blu-ray has the extras too. Is but... there a binge co-host discount? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll give it to you when we're done. You can take that. That's yes. my, my present to you. Well, we're doing a, a white elephant for the binge holiday party, which is going to be hard because it's just the two of us. It's just going to be me wrapping up Zootopia and just handing it to you. Yeah, I wonder what it is. Right, I'll just leave it on the table and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to cut my eyes. At I want to know who took it. The cheap European version of Zootropolis. Zootropolis. <laughs> which I found on an international flight. Yes, well, you know, for my job, that has been, um, it's the best of, we're doing the best of the year stuff and almost every country has it in their best of the year as they should and every country but the united states has it called zootropolis that's so crazy because zootopia i guess just doesn't quite translate apparently and i don't know if they because they're like but they don't it doesn't translate the name i mean utopia is like a just as right so, um, and i guess they didn't want to of a word is they didn't want to suggest that i guess they didn't want to they didn't think suggesting a, a utopia pun was the right way to go hmm. and they just uh, wanted and, to be zoo city not zoo perfect city i mean i'm surprised they didn't just all change it to zooropa and just do a full u2 tie-in with that one <laughs> tour they did <laughs> Octung baby era, yeah, you yeah. too. Um, anyway. Anyway, Rebecca, what's up with you? Oh, you know. Um, I'm really excited about my upcoming Christmas present. Um, <laughs> so that's what's up with me like, at ins- this very minute. Got the inside line on some sweet shit Sam's going to bring me. <laughs> um, not too much. I uh, I spent the whole week. I had a, 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 a little bit of a surgery last week. So I spent the whole week uh, on the couch doing nothing, um, mm. being completely babied. Um, which has been great. Um, By which you mean you were told to shut up, baby, over and over, over again. Over and over yeah. um, mm-hmm. and over again. Yes. I didn't say much. Yes. Um, and during that time, uh, the perfect, as you mentioned, great convalescence movie series when you are in and out of sleep um, uh, for many hours is the Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. Um, I never read the books and I had only seen most of the movies recently. I never really, I'm not like a... What is it? Potterhead? Is it like Parrothead? Pothead. Pothead? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it was perfect. It was the perfect thing to fall in and out of sleep to. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a heck of a story. <laughs> That Harry Potter. I mean, it gets very sad and intense toward the end. Oh, you know, I, did, I you, did cried you stop watching those so ones? So hard no. <laughs> when Dobby died. So hard. I would, that's the most I've cried in a while. I just Aww. lost it. So cute. I know. He just wanted to be surrounded by his friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I mean, it's and I and I know that, you know, for some they would say, "Oh, it made me cry. I'm so angry." But for you, it's the ultimate compliment. Um, oh yeah. Which will come into play a bit later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> for things that fail to make you cry. Yes. Given the um, given the hair trigger, that is your tears. It really is. Speaking um, of that, I was followed by an Instagram account called White Male Tears the other day. Is that you? 
<laughs> no. Are you sure? White male tears followed excess baggage? Yeah. Oh. White male tears followed excess baggage. Interesting. Um, it's just a bunch of pictures of like white men crying. No. <laughs> it's not me. Okay. Wish it was. I'm just like, I, I feel happy that like I was actually overwhelmed with ideas about who it could be in my life. <laughs> and it could be literally any woman I know. Uh, no, it wasn't me. Mm. Um, but, so that is what's up with me. Not too yeah. much. Uh, what's up with you? Uh, well, um, the other night I went to a, uh, an event for the moth, uh, mm-hmm. the storytelling show. I'd gone to one a few weeks ago. I went to a thing. They do like the grand slam where all the winners and the different story slams all come together. Oh, and yeah. tell. Um, I am very, this, the whole world of, of, of the moth is very curious to me. I don't understand it. I don't think it's interesting. I don't see why people enjoy it. I'm just like, why do you need strangers to tell you stories? Do you not have people in your own life to tell you no. stories? No, you know all the stories of other people in your life. Well, but these stories... And the other half of the people are liars. These stories... Well, these could be liars. I mean, they say the honors it code is that it's, it's all truth. True I know. Well, I think it's just it's just because I've never been an NPR listener. So I've never, like, developed a palette for, like, you know, like, people telling little human interest stories about themselves. This um, reminds me of how I hate forum. Uh, like the NPR news story forum because I'm like I don't want to hear some fucking random person's thought about like the education system or tax I want to hear experts I don't yeah. want to hear some fucking asshole from Concord tell me like why he thinks that like Bart should be taxed at a higher no fuck that dude <laughs> yeah, hey Concord pipe down <laughs> down in front Concord uh, yeah so I'd never uh, but then you know I went to that um, Grand Slam and it was so atrocious and so boring and I was so puzzled because it was at a Castro Theater and every single seat, all the way up to the very back corner, was completely taken. Those things sell out the, like the, immediately. The energy was through the roof. And I was like, for what? For what? It's mystifying to me. So I was complaining about it to a friend of mine um, who, like me, is a queer guy who has been active in like kind of a local storytelling scene. Mm-hmm. Him far more than, than me. Um, I've only done two. He's done like all of them. And Wait, so you don't understand why people like it, but you do it? No, I don't understand the moth, because the moth stories are stupid and fucking boring. Where I've done it, it's been interesting. Uh, because <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't make that distinction because, the first time around. Because I think the people who do the moth are boring people. Well, I, th- I mean, I guess it Because depends. they're just boring NPR people. Because, like, you know, when I, the first one I did was Out Loud, that Joshua, the Peter yeah, Christ does. That was great. And I he, was there. And it was he, fantastic. Yeah, and he curates those. And, you know, he brings in all these, like, interesting queer people that he knows around San Francisco. And they tell interesting stories about their queer life. And they let you in. And, and they let me in, too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then I did one that was more, um, you know, kind of, like, literary called Right Club. Um, where it was, you know, people being pit against each other with like certain words and themes. They had to like write something. Could be fiction, could be nonfiction, could be whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I saw at the moth, now both times that I have sat through a moth, is just lots of boring, mostly straight people um, telling these like <laughs> kind uh, of kind of stories. I guess I've never seen one live, but like the moth podcast is like a lot of time, a lot of time it's like comedy writers and authors and and like people who are really good storytellers tell stories. That's I've very... heard some of the funniest most interesting um stories of the moth that's interesting um maybe those unlike, are the ones that unlike, are curated from unlike the, podcast, the moth live though. itself which is not interesting um <laughs> those are the but, best of the best of the best though yeah, they're not just like apparently well this sto- the fucking grand slam that i saw was supposed to be the best of the best locally and man we should go see like the moth like cleveland or like the moth 
Houston. Now that I bet would be interesting. I think it probably just reflects on like the overall awfulness of like the average NPR listener in San Francisco <laughs> that, <laughs> that the moth here was so terrible. But okay, go so, ahead. So Sorry. anyway, so me and my friend made a pact that we were going to go do the next episode of the moth that that they did here because we were like, well, we're going to fucking slay it uh, because we're more interesting than all these boring fucking straight people that are doing the moth. You're even, so tolerable right now. don't even right know now. what interesting is. <laughs> you're so... What's the opposite of insufferable? <laughs> Whatever it is, you're it. <laughs> Go on. Kissable? Yeah. I look kissable. <laughs> Go on. I was so incensed. And so we were like, well, let's just go and slay it. And even if we don't win, it's only because they're boring and they don't know any better. So we had our, our we had all our aces in a row um, for why it would not be our fault if we didn't win. Uh, like either we'll slay it because they will have their minds blown, uh, or we will we will lose because they're so boring and straight that they don't understand what greatness is. This is like the plot of like a coming of age movie talent <laughs> show. But go on. And I am thirty four. <laughs> He's in his twenties. He can be forgiven. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, it, it, it so we went and we you know we bought the tickets. We had to be you know we'd be ready one week beforehand. Um, you know bought the tickets like the second they went on sale because then they sold out immediately. Dragging emails from somebody named Inga. I'm like of course. So I mean Inga lady like welcome to the moth. I'm like fuck off Inga. I don't want to hear from you. And uh, so we went and I didn't prepare super a lot for it. Um, it's by far the least prepared I've been for one of these things because pardon me, because you don't know if they're going to call you. Yeah. You know, you get there, you put your name in a hat, um, and then they just pick 10, ten names at random. And so Did they I, tell you the theme ahead of time. Yes. They tell you the theme ahead of time. This theme was horrible. Um, it was like new dawns and fresh beginnings. Oh, wow. Um, and which was a cho- clearly it was chosen pre-election. Um, <laughs> and it was like. Tell us about your most upworthy, worthy moment. Oh, wow. No. Uh, so, but then it was like, you know, I was like, God, I got fucking nothing. And uh, <laughs> Not with <laughs> like, that I attitude. never had an upworthy, worthy moment in my goddamn life. <laughs> and, um, and then it was like, you know, your, your moment in the sun, your brush with fame. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I decided to talk about the time four years ago that I interviewed Rashida Jones and she said that John Travolta should come out and then oh. I leaked the story to the gay press and then it went from the gay press to the mainstream press and then it became a week-long entertainment news item. Um, so, and never having really listened to The Moth, I had no idea what kind of what the tone was supposed to be mm-hmm. or like what they like. Um, wow, you're bold. So I just, so I just, yeah, so I just went in there with this kind of half-formed idea in my head. Like I, I, I wrote out a transcript beforehand just to kind of try to find the words and what the narrative was and what the arc was. And, um, and so we get there, and it's so full. It was the public works. It was so full. Staying room only. Every seat taken. Every inch around the seats taken. All there people. I, there are people just sitting on the floor in front of the stage between the actual seats and the stage, like literally wow. people hanging from the rafters. <laughs> it was fucking bonkers. And I saw so many people going up there and putting their names in, putting their names in, putting their names in. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to get called. And um, and uh, then I was third. <laughs> wow. They called me third. Um, Do they call you at the beginning or they call no, one they make and you wait. you go right there? Yeah, you go right there. Yeah, so be, to, to wring maximum drama out of it, because Joe and I were like, I hope they announce it all at the beginning, so you know. And then, and then Joe was like, you know, they probably don't do that. <laughs> so like, they're definitely <laughs> going to try to get the most drama out of it and make you wait. 
And sure enough, um, they actually have the each person who goes with them tells a story. They pick a name out of the bag, oh. and that person is the person who they call up next. So you were once again the Hannah Horvath of the evening again, and um, exactly. And then I just kind of like took my top off <laughs> so this thing happened. And I was like, deal with my weird body. <laughs> um, and uh, and then you get judged not for your weird body, but there's there's three teams of judges that then give you a rating on like a ten point scale, like seven point four or whatever. Um, and so, which it, the, the, the tension is running high. So when they called my name after I was called after the guy who went on to win the whole night. Oh no. Um, who had just killed the room. Some fucking straight bro in a, in a mock neck and you know, like a mock neck pullover shirt and jeans talking about how when he moved to San Francisco, he accidentally went to prenatal yoga classes because he thought the word was prenatal and he didn't know what it meant. He thought it was a type of yoga. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Ten. Ten for <laughs> Tens, me. Tens. <laughs> I love it. So that was literally the entire thing. Um, but then I found out that because he did it smartly. Um, what I didn't realize is that like the moth is something that people like study and they go to like our my my dear friend and our loyal listener Alicia was telling me that there are like workshops yeah. that people do. That's like kind of the part of the point of it. Like a lot of the people are just like, they're like convicts or they're like normal people and they've uh, they've gone to these classes so they've taken the story that's interesting to them right. and then they've like worked it worked it until it's really work good work it work it well <laughs> and see and I think that's just forced um, so teach okay go ahead <laughs> I think it's forced man you have okay you go need ahead. to have a certain natural flair for this or don't fucking do it uh, so um, <laughs> sorry uh, so anyway so I get called and um, and I, I out loud I yelled god damn it um, <laughs> And then I had to like stagger the stage and then I get to the front and realize that there's like all these kids just like sitting on the floor. So I'm just like kicking my way through them trying to get up to the stage. Like literal children? Like, like just like young people. There's so many young, I mean like there are people of all ages with such a goddamn like panoply of like every different kind of person you could imagine. I was like, how does this appeal to everybody? So you hate that it's so diverse. I do. Okay, so go on. This story is Uh, just, I'm going to stop. And so... (laughs) And so I go up there and I start to tell my story and, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting laughs. Like all I wanted to do was tell a story that was funny and entertaining. I knew it had no emotional core. I know it had no inspirational moment. Um, and I just went for it anyway. And, um, and so I told my story and then, so you only have five minutes and Mm -hmm. let me tell you, five minutes fucking flies by. That's like, not this five minutes. And this is why I lost. Uh, if you guys I know. guess I shouldn't have been a judge. <laughs> I knew you were chicks with sticks. I knew that was you. <laughs> I thought I couldn't recognize you under the wig and the glasses. Oh, that'd be fun. Um, that is the name of the team that gave me the lowest score. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so I just kind of went up there and tried to be funny, and and you know, and I think it was funny, but it was not a story that was shaped like a moth story mm-hmm. and i think clearly they could tell that i hadn't and you know worked on and afterward i was talking to the mc and he's like oh yeah we have people who come to these things like he's like i have a friend who keeps, who's come to five in a row now with her story ready and has not been called yeah and I'm, and I'm like well i'm an asshole so sorry yeah <laughs> sorry that i went up there it's taking up that space um and exactly i mean I'm a, I'm a white man i'm just taking up space um and that's what i do and so anyway my score ended up being like dead center mm. um and you know which wasn't bad um it was actually <laughs> Uh, it was strange because the, the the judges were almost entirely female, um, and yet literally every single man got a higher score than any of the women who went. So the scores were like one through six, the men, oh, seven wow. through ten, the women. 
So lots of, you know, so fuck them. <laughs> fuck them that they didn't let me win. They have all their all their internalized misogyny. I can't deal with it. Uh, Are you done? I guess I'm done. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so that was this my... This is also the second worst moth story ever. <laughs> <laughs> you still haven't studied. <laughs> There's no emotional core. There's no arc. <laughs> and I never will because it's what comes to me naturally. It's fresh. I'm untrained. Uh, tonight's theme is bitterness. Uh, <laughs> and delusion. <Jason> <laughs> Delusional bitter faggotry. Our, uh, and you don't our, get called. Our MC is always, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that they're scowling. And meanwhile, Joe had the most perfect story. He didn't get called because the universe is unjust and also because fuck 2016. Yeah. That's where, that's squarely where the blame belongs. Yeah. So anyway, that's what's up with me. Yeah. So let's talk about movies, shall we? <laughs> Do we have time? <laughs> Barely any. Let's squeeze in these movies. Uh, and movie, another thing. Okay. <laughs> movie number one is Moana. An adventurous Polynesian teenager sails out on a daring mission to save her island people. During her journey, she meets the once mighty demigod Maui, who guides her in her quest to become a master wayfinder. I like how you're saying it like Moana, like Joanna. Moana. <laughs> Return Moana sweater a- down the street. <laughs> Moana, stop by. <laughs> Moana? Yeah, I think it's Moana. Okay. For generations. This peaceful island has been home to our family. But beyond our reef, a great danger is coming. Legend tells of a hero who will journey to find the demigod Maui. And together, they will save us all. Maui? Shapeshifter? Demigod of the wind and sea? Hero of men. What? It's actually Maui shapeshifter, demigod of the wind and sea, hero of men. I interrupted from the top, hero of men. Go. You know, I like that demigod style, just kind of constantly talking over and interrupting a petite brown woman. Yeah, I was going to say, a petite mm-hmm. brown woman with a uh, blowhard of a, <laughs> of a destiny pal. Um, it's a tale that hits close to home. Mm-hmm. Once again, we see ourselves on the screen. Once because again. Because representation is key. It is. Um, Speaking of which, why is that chicken ad you brought tonight? Looking forward <laughs> to hanging out with that little guy. How are you and Moana? <laughs> Moana. So we should also note that even though Moana came out last week, it did. Um, and it breaks our usual uh, policy of only reviewing movies the week they open, at least locally, um, you know, we wanted to talk about it uh, because it is... Uh, it's an important film. Would you agree, Rebecca? It's a new dawn. It's a new day. Yes. It's, it's upworthy new... worthy, if you will. <laughs> it is. And you liked it, surprisingly. I did like it. I don't... I, if, it's, if, it, if it feels genuine, then I like a thing. Mm-hmm. Unlike... I just don't like contrivance. Okay, let's not go back. Let's, you know let's what? go forward. Let's and you know forward. what really... Yeah. Okay. okay forward. Fine. All right. Onwards. Um, this movie is the new Disney princess. Um, mm-hmm. She is a heroine. She um, takes care of business. Uh, she is the hero of her people. Um, wonderful voice acting job um, by the Go ahead, first say her name. time. Um, I actually don't know it. Um, Look it up. Let's no, see you try. Here's the thing. I do, I do know it. I don't. Okay, I lied. I do know it. I can't say it. Um, I should have, as a responsible person, have figured that out, but I did not. Um, I'm still sick. <laughs> I was under the knife. <laughs> Assholes. Her name is? 
I don't know what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Well, she's she's new. I mean, mm-hmm. she uh, this is her first time, yeah. uh, first role. It's amazing. She really brings a lot of life to the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has definitely that, that Disney shine to her voice. Yeah. She sounds every bit a Disney princess. Mm-hmm. The animation in this movie is phenomenal. I think it's the first full digital uh, animation movie released by Disney uh, and Pixar. Mm. Uh, I think the only thing that was hand-drawn were the tattoos on Maui's body. Oh, is that right? I read that somewhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> I read that in a tweet. No, I didn't. I read that somewhere. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was a bathroom's tall wall. Um, I think people worry about weird things at work. There are uh, definitely parts of the movie where I, I, I can see them in my mind where I was like, it's really looked like live action. Yes. And it definitely makes you want to go on like a tropical vacation. Like, Pronto. Am like, I right? I just want to get my girls and <laughs> take, do some yoga by the beach, have some pina coladas. Now that I've seen this. Yeah, I, it's my one takeaway. My you're one takeaway from this story was that it's been too long since I've been to Maui. This, uh, this movie has gotten you know a fair amount of accolades for working uh, the writers uh, did a lot of research in research in Hawaii um, and they worked with the I think it's the Oceanic Story Trust like a historical preservation society to um, really true up the story with um, the local mythology and history mm. so there's not a lot um, of terrible things to say there um, yeah. you know in the usual <laughs> Disney <tried>. style right <laughs> It's uh, it's no Pocahontas, um, that's for sure. Um, I have there's still some there's still some feedback around like uh, distrust generally of like Disney still this like you know giant um, company that has like used the Polynesian culture uh, mm. has exploited it for years with like you know all the tiki themed things. Right. Um, so there's still you know some distrust I think in the in the community, but I think overall um, they they got some um, Polynesian actors. Um, so definitely, uh, again, as we said, a new dawn for Disney. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I love so much about Moana uh, is that her gender really is incidental to the entire story. There is no part of her story um, that couldn't also have happened to a male character with basically zero rewrites. Yeah. And I think that's kind of ultimate uh, equality in a sense mm-hmm. um, because she, it's not like, oh, you're going to be the princess of your people or we're going to marry you off. First of all, a moment of fucking applause. There is no goddamn romance. Yes. Because she's also a child. <laughs> well, I mean, that when has that ever stopped them? No, absolutely. And yes, she's not that absolutely. young. She's meant to be like a teenager. Like, I, you know, I she's, think so. yeah, like she's definitely, because like, they're there when they, we see her growing up and we see her when she's at like, four or whatever then we see her at like 10 then we see her at like yeah. 17 whatever she's supposed to be yeah. so point being there could have been she's not boy crazy there are no love yes. interests of any at kind all. None. at all not even a little bit which is great which is fantastic so no love interests at all um and there, like she it has nothing to do with the fact that she is female there's a one she exchange being... where she's called a princess right. um by maui but i think that like even if you were exchange that to say like oh mm-hmm. you're just a prince it's, i think the term wasn't princess in like a female uh connotation so much as it right. is like, just, just like a, title. a spoiled royalty right yeah exactly exactly and i think there's some of that that comes into like the ribbing the ribbing that's probably the one place where the gender could come into play is the way that maui ribs her mm-hmm. um you know just trying to like take the piss of her and be like oh you're just a princess what do you know mm-hmm. um but aside from that like she is being groomed to be the leader of her people mm-hmm. and yeah. which with with you know, no question with, with no question with no like oh even though you're a girl or like oh we have no male heirs or you know like that never right. like they're just like you're being groomed to be the leader of your people and even beyond that she has a calling from the sea mm-hmm. and the 
the animation mm-hmm. of like how she interacts with the sea going Beautiful. back to when she's a little girl when she first discovers that we're like when her grandmother's watching her mm-hmm. oh my god is that was adorable. so magical like i was like oh god damn like I, it really really <laughs> that's how i stand when i moved and it really <laughs> did it for me um so that was that was spectacular and uh, so, you know, it's a movie you can really get behind, uh, yeah. you know, in, in every sense. And, you know, uh, it, it does kind of do that thing where, um, you know, it's ultimately this is all leading up to there is still a villain of sorts. But the villain even, we don't really have the villain until like the very end. It's not even so much a villain as just Misunderstood. This kind of, yeah, which is very much like the way that we do villains now. Like yeah. there have been like think pieces about like, why can't you just let things be evil anymore? Why does everything have to be misunderstood? Um, but I think it's for the best for kids because it teaches compassion. And complexity. Yeah, complexity and compassion. It like, teaches you to like, you know, like people, you know, they hurt because, you know, they hurt because they are hurt. They hurt because they're hurting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we just try to, exp- you know, understand like the origin story of like why someone is the way they are. And um, so. Which you know, I think is so valuable. Painting things yeah. as black and white is is not a learning experience at all. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a terrible framework with which to try to see the world. Right. So you know, you look back at the at the progression of you know like it's probably within the last twenty years, maybe even ten, that really this kind of movement toward like let's try to humanize the bad guy and not have it be this kind of like yeah, I hate him. Um, cheer cheer on for their death. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Gascon <laughs> Scar. Oh yeah. Well. Well. Anyway. <laughs> Like, let's not talk about he had scar. a scar. I'm sure you could see that why he was so upset. <laughs> I mean, are you looking at my scar on my forehead when you're saying that? I am. Um, so at the end of the at the end of this though, we do disagree a little bit in, on yeah. uh, putting this in, in our you know, our favorite kids movies. To me, um, I am so glad this exists. Um, I uh, I think this is so important. I am envious of all the children that get to grow up with this movie as part of their canon, and it's fantastic. As an adult, I'm glad I saw it. All she ever had growing up was Song of the South, guys. She <laughs> <laughs> really, really is jealous. Lovable. <laughs> Lovable character than that Briar Patch. Um, no, I... Uh, it was her Halloween costume I mean, until she I was I did 18. watch Sound of the South, uh, Song of the South when I was a kid. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it was part of every you know Disney compilation. Yeah, and that one where like Donald there. Duck goes to Mexico... <laughs> That was also has some good songs, but it's terribly racially insensitive. Um, uh, as an adult, it's not it's not part of my. I think I also I don't know. I think I I don't warm up to uh, movies that don't have uh, kids movies that don't have strong animal characters. I think I mean I'm just gonna be honest. And and as we mentioned before, uh, Rebecca's ultimate compliment to any movie is if it can make her cry, even though. Movies that you don't think are good make you cry all the time. Yeah. I mean, the crying thing isn't uh, uh, an indicator of success for uh, a non-animated movie. <laughs> Only for an animated movie. It's, it's something that, right? that just happens in, an, in a non-animated movie. That doesn't mean it's good at all. Uh, what was that movie that... Um, yeah, you cried at something really... One? Oh, um, With all the dog oh, reaction right, shots? Oh, right. Yeah, all the dog reaction shots. And also, you cried at Trolls. Uh, but I guess that was a mark of a successful animated film. I felt like Trolls was more charming. So, guys, Rebecca didn't cry at Moana. No, I, I have a hard time with, Because like, she did not care about the chicken. I did not care about the chicken. Had they taken the pig, 
you would have been, been a, you would have been a wreck. Story. I was worried about that. I, so I walked in the theater. I go see this movie uh, in the afternoon in the suburbs in a theater that's part of a mall. And I walk in. It's first of all, it's fucking packed. Like people are just really going to see the movies at like four thirty in the afternoon on a weekday. You're like um, losers, all of you. I get in there. I'm walking through, and some little girl yells, "Daddy!" <laughs> <laughs> And listen, I apologized for that. And just like I expect you to apologize for calling me a little girl. You know that's how I greet you when you walk into movie theaters. <laughs> Your voice is so high-pitched. <laughs> yeah. When um, I get excited, it just shoots up. So I already felt like a creep. Um, so I'm glad I didn't leave there all teary-eyed. Um, I, I think I have a hard time um, having that same sort of just like emotional vulnerability when the characters are human. Like even in like Beauty and the Beast. Spoken like a true cat lady. Chip the cup. <laughs> You're like, I don't care like, about humans. It's really animals that... <laughs> Chip the cup made me cry like crazy in his two lines taking a bath with Mrs. Potts. Chip the kid, nothing. I, I just don't get behind uh, humans in animated movies. Trolls, yes. T- teacups, trolls, animals. Well, and to be fair, I guess there isn't really thinking back on Moana. I can't think of a moment that was like, oh, here's a part where you cry. I mean, yeah, I that's guess, true. I, mean, well, I, I guess, guess the grandmother. You know, yeah, the grandmother. Um, but, you know, that, nothing. You felt nothing I felt watching nothing. that scene. No. Um, but yeah, there. Uh, so you know, it's a controversial decision that they make in this film because we're introduced to two animal characters, and we feel <laughs> fairly certain wh- which one is going to stick around. Yeah, there's so like one have, that's like a loyal pet. We have this. You're so angry on behalf of that pig. <laughs> so we have this adorable little pig, the cutest pig that's ever been in a movie ever. Uh, I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> the cutest animated pig that's ever been in a movie ever. Okay. Charlotte's Web? What the? The cutest baby pig that's ever been in a movie ever. Since Charlotte's Web. Was that that a baby pig? Uh, He grew up as a baby pig. He was a baby pig at the beginning of the story. Oh, well, I'm sorry that I haven't watched that movie anytime fucking recently. Oh, you want to see me cry? (laughs) Templeton. Oh, geez. Well, all that aside, it's a really cute baby. I'm trying to make your goddamn point for you. Sorry. It's a really cute little pig. And, um, And then there's also this chicken. Um, that that when you're first seeing it, you're thinking, okay, this is like the one note comic relief chicken mm-hmm. because it's a stupid chicken and its eyes are like bugged out of its skull, pointing in different directions. It constantly like walks into things and falls over and like falls into the sand and its two legs shoot up going in different directions. <laughs> and um, and then when she when Moana goes off to sea to um, realize her destiny and and and, and protect her people and their island. Uh, and we realize there's an animal stowaway, and you settle in. You think it's gonna be the pig? It's not the pig. It's the chicken. It's the chicken. And I, any sense of disappointment I had was wiped away within seconds. <laughs> whenever the chicken does that terrified like, and they do that like that like that extreme pullback and yeah. <laughs> show the whole ocean. I was rolling. Um, and Scott, after the movie, was like, you really love that chicken. <laughs> so apparently I was like full on like slapping my knee, scream laughing every time that chicken was on screen. Uh, so, but the chicken is not good for emotion. The chicken is the anti-emotion. And I feel like, you know, they almost were like consciously doing a little commentary because he also has a, um, uh, Maui also says like, if listen, you're a princess with a talking animal companion, you're, you know, you're, yeah. uh, so... They didn't want it to be the usual. They didn't yeah. want it to be like the usual, like princess aided by like an adorable little animal. Sure. She got it done, even though the animal was a liability. Absolutely. <laughs> Not a help. <laughs> um, and just continually, almost too much. <laughs> even for my taste, they had almost too many scenes of the chicken just like falling off the boat. <laughs> um, but did I laugh every time? Yes, I did. You found your spirit animal. I may have. Um, I, I, what can I say? I love that chicken. 
Um, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, oh, let's talk about the music. What did you think of the music? The music was great. Um, you know, so we know it's 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 in part by Lin Manuel Miranda of mm-hmm. Hamilton. And um, true story, I have still never listened to Hamilton. Yeah, me neither. Um, at and, this point, it seems like it's impossible. Well, I mean, I feel like I should soon because you know we have tickets to see it when it comes to San Francisco. Oh, and wow. um, okay. and we and get- I'm just getting Zootopia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> see where the budget goes put your hands away stop putting your your handouts um and i was like oh i'm just gonna wait to watch it and then experience the music then and then everybody's like don't do that you fucking idiot (laughs) the whole point is that you're supposed to like know the whole score when you go and see it so it's like a concert and you like already know all the songs Mm -hmm. i'm like but i I don't want to know the spoilers like it's history (laughs) (laughs) and the one guy shoots the other guy i don't know i still don't actually know what happens um i'm gonna find out though because um, they did drunk history with when Manuel miranda doing the story of hamilton um, this past week so i'll watch that and then i guess i'll have the whole thing ruined for me but the music is great i thought it was a lot more the the ways you can feel him in it is that it's more complex kind of melodically and Mm. structurally um, it kind of had that, you know, it always feels like musical theater in Disney movies, but it had the extra kind of like, just like the kind of the, the dexterity of the, of, of the lyrics yeah, and I kind felt of the, the overlapping and, and, and they felt, you know, Sondheim mask at times. Mm-hmm. The songs, the songs are very, um, illustrative. Like they, they very much explain what's going on, um, mm-hmm. which I think is both him and maybe a bit of the cultural, uh, influence of, mm-hmm. of songs of the Polynesian culture. Right. Um, it's very, it, it, with most Disney movies, it's like, oh, they have a theme and then these words rhyme, mm-hmm. but here everything seems very intentional. Um, yes. very smart. Um, but also at the same time, it, it's not catchy in a way where I remember a lot of them, except I mean, for except, the one, except the one that the, the let it go. Except the Let It Go song. Is that the Jemaine Clement one? Oh, no. I loved that song. That is polarizing. Because they oh. see, I also like the Jemaine Clement uh, crap character in yes. his like weird little David Bowie song. Yeah, that was fabulous, I think. Um, but like, Scott hated that. And I've had like other people who've seen also be like, I liked everything except for that crab. That was weird. Oh, love that crab. <laughs> that was your favorite part. Don't yeah, you like, you're, part almost had me in tears. Almost. <laughs> So close. Um, yeah, yeah I almost thought crab. that maybe the uh, Flight of the Concords guys had written part of the songs as well. Mm. Um, but no. Well, so the Let It Go Showstopper, I don't know what it's called, but there is like a Let It Go Showstopper in this one as well. Um, and they have a reprise of it later in the sh- in the movie. Mm, mm. Um, and it is, it has that kind of, just has, it hits the soaring notes it needs to hit. Yeah. Um, it's not quite as like instantly legendary as Let It Go mm-hmm. was. Right. Um, but Which it is, wa- thank God, we don't need yeah, that. Yeah, we, we don't need more of that. Um. The uh, director of Hunt for the Wilder People mm-hmm. uh, did a draft of the story as well. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. I What's mean, that's the thing, again? Taika Waititi. Thank you. And uh, I mean, I think that, you know, like when you're watching it, I was thinking of just like, oh, I wonder who all did like punch ups on this. Because that's the thing, you know, like in for any studio movie, the screenplay is a pass through so many hands that are never, yeah. ever, ever credited. Yeah. And, um, you know, so like there's, you know, people who you would never million years assume worked on these movies have possibly contributed dialogue <laughs> that are in them. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was doing my interview with Marangela some years back, she like alluded to having done like a rewrite on a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> <laughs> so just think about that for a minute. Uh, yeah, I will. <laughs> um, so uh, am I assuming that you're giving it a binge it? I am giving it a binge it. Me too. All right. Uh, so especially it's... if you have kids, yes. please do everyone a favor. Make sure they see this. Yes, this is. I mean, it's such a it's such an antidote to our times. Yeah. Um. Our our recently very dark times. This is this is such this is this is definitely a movie that we need now. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that like we should be showing our sons and daughters over the next however many years 
to um to help curb <laughs> to help curb the damage that they will be incurring living in this world absolutely um yeah i mean i feel if you like have an af- afternoon movie with the kids and you see zootopia and you see moana like and then you show them the real world they're going to have a huge disconnect yes um zootopia might make more sense than it should yeah unfortunately yeah, unfortunately um great so as we mentioned it's already out go see it um movie number two is jackie which is our pick of the week pick of the week pick of the week pick 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 is the pick, pick of, of the week, week. Following the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy fights through grief and trauma to regain her faith, console her children, and define her husband's historic legacy. And tell it strong and clear if he has not. That once there was a fleet... People like to believe in fairy tales. Don't let it be forgot that for one brief, shining moment, there was a Camelot. So um, we watched this movie the night before the election. Well, to clarify, I had already seen it at Toronto. Ding. Ding. Um, and that's like dong. And then gong. <laughs> just like wah, wah. <laughs> Just have that that um, Rachel Dratch sound effect queued up. <laughs> um, anyway, yes, we watched this the night before. We watched this together for the first time the night before the election. And we really should have known that things weren't going to go well the next day because we had these assholes behind us. Who oh, my just, God. They were just talking and laughing the entire time. And, guys, this was an Academy screening. How did that even happen? Oh, my God. This like, is a very... I mean, this. I guess that's a good intro to talking. This is a very quiet movie. Yes. Um, it's very intimate. Very it's, intimate. It's, it's what Lifetime would call an intimate portrait. <laughs> it definitely is. You have... Mm-hmm. Um, a woman in the middle of a moment of chaos, um, easily the most chaotic time in uh, probably the last, what, 40 years? Um, 60, 50. What is this? 19, it was, it was, it was 50, 53 years. 53 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, traumatic time for the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, traumatic time for Jacqueline Kennedy, both the the moment of the week following the assassination jfk Mm -hmm. and you have her in all the quiet moments this Mm -hmm. is her in all the moments with nobody around and and with some people around um because we have a journalist who comes to interview her so right and and we have her conversations with bobby kennedy right so what we kind of have here is kind of a a, an exploration of mainly like 90 percent of the movie is like the week it is the events immediately leading up to the assassination and then things that happen over the week that follows. Mm-hmm. As Jackie is back at the White House trying to figure out what to do in the immediate aftermath of his death, how to do his funeral, mm-hmm. and through funeral, contemplating questions of his legacy. Um, and then and her legacy. And hers. And the overarching um, kind of framework is that she is an INS port and a reporter from Life magazine, played by Billy Crudup. Uh, comes to interview her for the first kind of sit down she's done. And even that's only like a month after. That's a week after. Oh, that's a week after? That's meant to be a week after. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize it was that soon. I thought it was like later in the the month. Yeah, it's supposed to be like very soon. 
um, afterward. Uh, so I, I was reading uh, an article today about the making of this movie, and I found out some interesting tidbits. Mm. Oh, the Variety article? Um, or Hollywood Reporter? I, it, it was one of those two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you read this? Uh, I know. I opened it, and then never got a chance to read it. Ah. So please. So um, so this is a fun callback to an earlier episode when we had our guest co-host, Lindsay Gebhardt. The director of this film, Pablo Lorraine, uh, previously directed The Club. Really? Yes. Another quiet movie. Yes, Night Terrors. About <laughs> tragedy. About tragedy. Night uh, Terrors. Yeah, and so Darren Aronofsky, the producer of this film, saw The Club at a film festival in 2015 and was like, that's the guy. That's the guy that I want to make this movie because he had had the screenplay for some years, mm-hmm. written by Noah Oppenheim. Darren Aronofsky had the screenplay for some time and he was thinking about directing it. He wasn't sure. And at the time that he had it, he was still with Rachel Weisz, and mm. she was going to play Jackie. Oh. Huh. How much more does Rachel Weisz look like Jackie Kennedy than Natalie Portman? But how much more can she do in a year? <laughs> she already has a rest. movie coming well, out every week this year. <laughs> but seriously, though, yeah. think for a second about how much more similar those yeah, two definitely. look like each other. Yeah, she just has that way of, yeah, yeah. Because wow. Natalie Portman, at the end of the day, is still kind Natalie of... Natalie Portman. Yeah, she's Natalie Portman. She's very slender and girlish mm-hmm. and petite. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she cuts a very intimidating figure in this film. Um, but Rachel Weisz is is more naturally a, a, um, a ringer, I yeah. would say, yeah, for I Jackie agree. Kennedy. Yeah. But uh, all the same, then, then you know, things uh, fell through. And then Pablo Lorraine um, was the one who wanted Natalie Portman for the part. Um, they shot most of it in Paris, so Natalie Portman wouldn't have to leave. Um, huh. They built the White House around Paris. Uh-huh. Um, and um, they did not do any rehearsals for this movie. They did no blocking. Um, they just had their, their camera. What's blocking? Blocking is when you are sitting where people are going to be standing. Oh. Um, where you're doing, when you're doing the filming. Um, so you can like plan for that. Instead, they had a camera, you know, a handheld steady cam that uh, the photographer, the cinematographer was just like following the actors mm. and like pushing in really close in their faces and, and letting them kind of improvise. The actors were improvising their physical movements in this movie. Interesting. Yes. Did it say um, anything about any research that Natalie Portman had then done about? Uh, yeah, she did research about, you know, about she just kind of watched videos and listened to audio. And yeah. she said, funny you mentioned the voice. She was like. I realized that Jackie had two different voices that she used. She had one in public that was like higher and breathier and more feminine. And then she had one that she used in private that was more kind of sarcastic and brittle. Interesting. Um, and, um, and that's kind of, you know, the voice that we heard in the snippet we used for this review was more that private voice. Yeah. And, uh, and you do see... And that's cause... in the interview, mostly. And that's in the, the interview because the interview is not being taped. Mm-hmm. And she also makes it clear to him that she will be editing the interview. And she does. Yes. And Physically she does. edit the interview. She sits down, yes, pen to paper, like me making a plan. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, she, she also, in addition to this kind of reenactment of that week in these interviews that she does with this Life Magazine guy and also with a priest who we see later in the movie, mm-hmm. another fun fact, that was one thing that Pablo Lorraine added that was not in the screenplay. Oh, interesting. And oh, I feel religion like, and it feels a little, him around. it does. And that part to me does feel a little tacked on. It does. Yeah. It feels like, why is she talking to a priest now? Right. Um, and it's like, you know, I'm like, you know, this is, is as thrilling as it is to watch every second of her performance in this movie. 
like I can only watch Jackie Candy talk to so many people, <laughs> um, you know, about her innermost feelings. It also seems strange because I don't. I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of history with like the Kennedys themselves being, you know, very Catholic and yes. are very close to the church. But mm-hmm. um, as far as her family is concerned, it's like not as known or um, right now. This is something that our listeners should take note of. Rebecca is a Kennedy file. I am a Kennedy file. Um, so talk about watching this movie as a Kennedy file, because you were you were shook after it was I over. Was. You were um, shook. You did not know it was going to be about the assassination. N- no, I didn't. I thought it was going to be more of just like a cradle, cradle to the, the grave. grave. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hi, how are you? So here's the here's the compliment I'll pay to this movie. Um, Beautifully shot. <laughs> and the animation was phenomenal. <laughs> Maybe want to go to the tropics. <laughs> um. I feel like this would have been a very powerful story if it wasn't about JFK. So it was, and that makes it great. It's fantastic. But as just a story of a woman grieving and making decisions and going through a difficult time, if it wasn't in the context of the Kennedys, it would still be good. The acting is so powerful. Um, and that closeness, you don't, I don't feel like you don't see in a lot of movies. So in that, it's I really enjoyed it. As the Kennedy file, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I feel like I have, like, my parents, you know, are definitely, like, um, Union-style, like, Italian immigrant uh, Democrats, who it was, like, JFK was, Mm -hmm. like, the best thing that ever happened, and his death is, like, something I feel like I mourned in a way that I'm surprised I didn't live through. Were they Catholic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was raised Catholic, too. Okay. Um, So, it's almost like a, you know, like a saint. Um. So seeing that and 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 just not even really imagining what her experience was at that time um, was was is already sad. It's, you know, it's a sad feeling. It's a sad feeling knowing it was the night before the election and things weren't locked down. Mm-hmm. Um, of just like the the death of promise and the death of hope and mm-hmm. um, it, it it was it was devastating. I mean, I feel like it's not a movie where I had like one solid cry. Um, back to the uh, cry o meter right, um, right. lover. Um, but consistently throughout the movie, I was tearing up. Just yes. it was like one huge yeah. um, rug burn. Uh, on yeah, the, this is on a emotions. movie. This is a movie that's very much. It's very experiential. Uh, it's very much about mood and feeling, and a big part of that comes from the wonderful score by Micah mm-hmm. Levi, mm-hmm. who also did the score to Under the Skin. And this this score is similar to that in that it's the swelling dissonant strings. And it's just haunting. And they sound too loud um, on purpose. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, like when they first start to swell in the beginning of the movie, it's jarring. Yeah. Um, it's jarring and it's minor key. And that sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because it really wants you, this is a movie that wants to put you in her head because Jackie Kennedy is commonly described as the most unknown known woman who's ever lived. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like there are few women in history um, who are more iconic than Jackie Kennedy, but no one knows her. Right. It was such an interesting time to, you know, where television was really coming, mm-hmm. um, being, you know, uh, an incredibly photogenic couple, um, Camelot, like this, mm-hmm. this beautiful couple leading the country. Um, but still, yeah, so, so keen at having a private life, uh, and a public life separate, um, mm-hmm. at such an early time. Right. Which, you know, which the one surviving candidate, Caroline from that immediate family has clearly studied, studied closely, very closely and has not been, never showed up on the Hillary trail as far as I know. Yeah. But not that I know of. No. Uh, so she was like, yeah, that's nope. interesting. She's going to set this one out. 
Um, so as a candy file, tell me your thoughts on this. Uh, watching Are you movie... talking about the Peter Sarsgaard? No, we'll oh. get to that. <laughs> uh, well, we can talk about that now. Peter Sarsgaard is terrible. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard <laughs> is the worst thing about this movie. Peter Sarsgaard should not have been cast as Bobby Kennedy because he does not look like Bobby Kennedy. He does not. He does not sound like Bobby Kennedy. He is a, a jarringly hideous man to look at um, <laughs> in most circumstances. Uh, and putting putting picture. Putting him in a... <laughs> <laughs> the one with Green Lantern. Yeah. Well, uh, he'll like put it on the website. <laughs> yeah. Jason will tweet it. <laughs> and uh, he is he is so profoundly miscast in this movie. Um, who should have been cast in the role is Jeffrey Donovan um, from Burn Notice, who played... Mm. He, mm-hmm. he played JFK in um, the movie about Lyndon Johnson that also played at Toronto. Oh. Um, and he was so... Is that with Brian Cranston? No, uh, it's Woody Harrelson. Oh. Yes, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> and it had the extreme misfortune of being in Toronto with Jackie. Oh, wow. Um, and man, is it terrible. And woe betide the poor little actress who plays Jackie in the LBJ movie. Um, oh. But yeah, uh, but yeah so mm-hmm. Jeffrey Donovan looks so much like Bobby Kennedy. And he has that charm. And, you know, Pierce yeah. Pierce a very, you know, he's a very gifted actor. But he's just miscast in the role. Like, there's just no, yeah. there's no rhyme or reason to him being in this, in this, in this part. And he's just so gross. Like, the whole <laughs> thing about the Kennedys is that they were so charming and handsome and dashing yeah. and inspiring. And he is none of those things. There's a line oh. in the movie where he is arguing with Jackie. And he's like, well, we're just, you know, we're, what are we the people anyway? We're, we're just the beautiful people. <laughs> I was like, oh, girl. <laughs> No one will call you that. <laughs> Don't worry about that. It's not the yeah, problem. Yeah, he's definitely a lump in this movie. Um, <laughs> he doesn't really add add much. That I mean, m- and maybe it would be my imagination, but um, you know, Bobby was right there um, for Jackie um, all, every step of the way. And based on this movie's interpretation, he added nothing. <laughs> Basically, nothing. No, he was just there to just like look gross yeah. um, and ward off children. Uh, and I mean, yeah, RFK things. looked better when he died than yeah, no, Starsgard yeah, does yeah. in this movie. Literally pictures of him the night he died. It's like, oh, he's good looking. Uh, <laughs> but no, not not Starsgard in this movie at all. But we were getting down to the uh, question I was going to ask, which Sorry. is in this movie. I've watched it now three times. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, okay. I watched it again. I've seen it once. Yes, I've watched it again after we watched it together, and. I noticed that Jackie doesn't grieve her husband like a wife in this movie. She grieves it very much like a political partnership. Hmm. Like there's no scene of her like lying in the bed they shared, like sobbing and like holding his pillow and smelling it or like looking at his clothes or, or like thinking about him really like not, not in like a, I'm going to miss the man I love who's the father of my children way. Mm hmm. Like, there's not very much to that. Like, she has some pragmatic conversations with the priest where she's like, who am I now to men? How do men see me? Yeah. Um, but uh, but beyond that, like, there's no... I would say two things. I would say, one, exactly what you're saying. Um, how do you would even navigate that? As I feel like your responsibility side takes over in times of... Sure. Um, but also, it's, I mean, he had already been president for three years. He'd been senator before that. Mm-hmm. He traveled the world. Um he was already um, it was yeah. very clear that he had been having affairs right. since before he was a senator. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- it, you know, I, it seems like their relationship was 
almost a political one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think that that reflects. Yeah, reflects that. I think it comes through in the movie, um, you know, and that she, uh, you know, I think that, you know, there is it does end on a very sweet note um, of, you know, them dancing while that Camelot yeah. song plays. Also, there's this incredible scene that I would say is the closest to that in the, in the middle of the movie where she comes home and she's in the White House mm-hmm. by herself. Um, and she just kind of has a night of drinking and trying on all of her outfits and playing Camelot. And... I will compare it to on Arrested Development when Lucille gets into the wine and she puts on like, Mama's going out, Mama's out, you know. <laughs> and she puts on. But, but make that incredibly sad. <laughs> and then they have a callback and they have Buster do the same thing in a later episode when he gets into the juice. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes. Yeah. And to think that that was all I think that they just let her go. Really? Um, you know, like they were like, okay, like now you're just going to, you know, walk around the White House and, and kind of have this night uh, where you, you, know, you get into the booze a little bit and put on some records. And we've all had those nights, you know, try on all your clothes, see how they look. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I also saw it as like that moment of being like, she like gets into the bed and it's, it's mm-hmm. like, what do you do now with your life? Like, right. Um, and, and and yet there was still never there's no beat in the film that is really about like my my husband is die, you know is dead yeah I mean she also uh, there's a whole point oh my god there's a terrible point where she has to tell the children like mm-hmm. there's almost like too much to be done and right. I think that like as you know um, a, a very uh, responsible uh, woman who has taken care of mm-hmm. business her whole life like she took care of business yeah absolutely but what I'm saying is that there's also those parts where she is by herself where the movie if it was going to have that beat it could have had that beat mm. Um, but instead it was never about that. It was always about her looking to his legacy mm-hmm. and, um, and wanting to, as we see in the film, follow closely what, ha- what, um, what, you know, Lincoln's wife did, what Mary Todd Lincoln did mm-hmm. and then do the same thing for JFK. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's interesting. And, you know, to your point, it is, it you know, probably was a very, I mean, she, she knew about the mistresses and she, she makes some reference. There's one bit in the interview, um, one of the interview scenes where she's like, you know, Jack would go out into the wilderness to be tempted, but he always came home to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so she had that all in perspective. Yeah, she she has a line with the priest too. It's very similar about right. that she hasn't like been and, with her husband in right, a year. Right, yes, and... right. And I think that that's not, you know, as a woman, that wasn't what she was looking for, I guess, because after that she married Aristotle Onassis, yeah. who, you know, was, was like just a Greek shipping magnate. 30 years older than him. Yeah, so that was not to get to get the D. You know, that was that was to, you know, I you know, to have the the comfortable life, presumably. Yeah, I mean and and yeah. I'm sure I mean I'm not saying she didn't love him, but like, you know, she was not chasing after she wasn't doing Jack again. She wasn't like, oh, let me find another like gorgeous man, you know, who all women will want to bone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like she was, she was thinking practically, like many do in their second marriage. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they had, they had also faced tragedy. He had been sick. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, it was definitely not like an easy ride um, at no. any point. Um, he had lost two sisters by the time yes. they've already been together. Yes, and she had, and we and we see that you know she had a a, a stillborn child yep. and a child who born, who died shortly after being born, mm-hmm. which uh, which comes into play in the end in a way that I didn't foresee. Which I wonder yeah. if that was also something that he added, added later, along yeah. with the priest stuff because the priest ties into that. But anyway, anyway, Nat- Natalie Portman in this movie, go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's an awards front runner kind of co-frontrunner along with Emma Stone. I mean, I feel like now you said that Rachel Weisz could have been. That's what, That's now what I'm kind of thinking your head. about. Now you're picturing her I wish I didn't role. know that. Um, that would have been interesting. I mean, Rachel Weisz does have that kind of tick thing that I wonder if that would be there. 
but um, it would have been interesting seeing like because Rachel Vice is just more womanly for lack of a better word you know she's she looks she she's a woman yeah and it would have been interesting to see because watching Natalie Portman you can't help it you're watching like this like teenage girl like pull on mommy's clothes and kind of walk around the house even though Natalie Portman I believe is our age um but yeah. you know she I think she actually is like I think she's 35 uh, but you know, she, but Rachel Vice, I just, you just would have had a different impact to watch like someone who just has that physicality, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, play the part. But anyway, but yeah, she so, did not play the part. Natalie Portman did. And, uh, you can blame Darren Aronofsky for that. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I think that, you know, you kind of go into it with a lot of criticism about like the voice and, um, but I, I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was great. I, I was totally sold. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she goes hard on the accent, she does, and yeah. you will be jarred yeah. when she first starts to speak. You, yeah. you will be you will be shaken, and you, <laughs> and you will not be sure how you feel about it. Yeah, that is true. You, it's hard to, to sort of um, relax right. too. Um, but then you go back and you watch the tapes of her, mm-hmm, and that's how mm-hmm. she spoke. Yeah, exactly. Like you were talking. I mean, this is an accent that has has kind of gone the way of the dodo. It doesn't really exist anymore. This like finishing school New England accent. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, that, it's that, just in Grey Gardens. This yeah, in Grey Gardens. The last, the the last, last places it. you'll hear it. Um, it's like a very particular uh, style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just like, oh, the Boston accent. No, it's yeah. like a little bit north and a little bit refined. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, same thing with the Kennedys. Um, Skarsgård does not <laughs> really do a great job there. But I think they had like real tapes of JFK for the guy who like briefly plays JFK. Yes, because we also have a reenactment of Jackie giving the White House tour on CBS in mm-hmm. this movie. And it seems, and the, the whole movie kind of splices to splices in bits of the real thing. Um, like there are moments whenever you'll be seeing the parade and there'll be like a yeah, shot. Yeah, there's and a you, real And, the and real you'll look and you're video. like, oh, that's actually, you know, that's really Jackie and Bobby. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when they first start having, when she has her first scene doing the tour, um, she does appear to be lip syncing to the original audio because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the voice sounds just ever so slightly different. But what is pleasant is that, uh, in there are some brief shots where they kind of, they reenact the actual assassination, mm-hmm. um, but they don't use like the Zapruder film or anything. Right. It's Did you say what is pleasant is when they do the assassination? <laughs> but, but they <laughs> don't use like the reenactment film there, which I feel like. No, little, yes. And that was something much. that was something that they talk about in this as well, because, you know, so they it is it is extremely graphic, um yeah. that scene when they get Brief, to it. But and, graphic. You, and you think you are done with it early on, but you're not. It's coming later. And uh but you know, and Pablo Lorraine was like, This is you know, he's like, We've been with her this entire film right up close and why would we not also be sitting with her in that moment? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. you know, because his vision of the film was that like there was not a single frame of it that Jack that Jackie wasn't in. And that was one thing he did in the screenplay was just go through and like cut out anything that was not a scene with Jackie in it. Oh, interesting. So he really wanted to be about just this this very you know, like a character study of just like taking this dive and trying to just like mind, put yourself into her mind, into her shoes as she's going through all of this. And it really works. I mean, there are the moments when she's on the flight back mm. um, from Texas to D.C. when LBJ is getting sworn in. Mm-hmm. And it's just like these moments of her like trying to clean up. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's so powerful. It's so, uh, yes. so intimate and so moving. Uh, Greta Gerwig also in the film. Oh, yeah. Uh, so was a surprise. Yes. And uh, the funny thing is, uh, so Greta Gerwig and Billy Crew are both in this, and they are also both in 20th Century Women. Oh, Billy! Oh, yeah, Billy Crudup's in that as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Greta Gerwig in this is is a little distracting. It's like, oh, hi, Greta Gerwig. Yeah, it almost like I feel like she gives it um, this almost like a lightness that seems forced. 
like when she's like, oh dear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so line readings don't quite land. You know, she still has that Greta Gerwig voice. Yeah. And you, know, you have like Nellie Portman there like doing this like knife edged accent yeah. job. And then you have Greta Gerwig <laughs> like, oh, hi, Jackie. How you doing? It's <laughs> my Greta impression. So anyway, um, this, this movie is just a really tremendous uh, cinematic depiction of grief and, uh, and the immediate aftermath of grief and shock and loss. And, uh, and I think, you know, to your point, it does have that kind of universal quality to it, because mm-hmm. even though it is about the Kennedys, it could be about anybody. And I think people will be able to connect with its depiction of this. Right. And um, from photography to music to performance, this is a real jewel. It's our pick of the week. We're both giving it a binge it. Um, and it is out now in New York and L.A., uh, but it comes out in San Francisco on December 9th. Yes. Um, here comes our last. Here comes our last movie. <laughs> here it comes. Watch out. Okay. Um, we don't have a trailer for it because it is in French. Mm-hmm. Um, things to come. A passionate middle-aged philosophy professor rethinks her already much-examined life after an unforeseen divorce. Guess whose favorite actress is in it? Look out, guys! No, She's it's not Julianne back. Moore. Not that one. But my, but Julianne Moore's favorite actress, Isabel de Pere. So then by. Uh, by 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 proxy by Munchausen by proxy. <laughs> You're mine, sick. <laughs> mine. Um, and guys, as we are taping this, just today, the New York Film Critics Circle announced their best of picks, and and Isabel Le Pair won Best Actress for this and L, uh, which is something that the Film Critics Circle will do if they feel like an actor has had more than one notable performance in a year. And um, which has been interesting. Congratulations. Because, which has been interesting because. Um, you know, we keep talking about like, oh, Emma Stone, Natalie Portman are the two frontrunners of Best Actress. But so far, um, we've had the New York Film Critics Circle and we've had the National Board of Review. Um, National Board of Review named Amy Adams for Arrival, their Best mm-hmm. Actress. Not which... Arrival dash Nocturnal Animals? No, they did not include Nocturnal Animals. Just Arrival. And, uh, you know, and, and if you guys listen to our review, you know that we feel strongly about that performance and we'd love to see it and mm-hmm. make it into the Oscar consideration. But frankly, this stuff... The critic stuff that happens right now doesn't tend to have much overlap with what actually happens with the Oscars, mm. um, but it's still fantastic that Isabella Bear was was one for both of these films because this is also a fantastic, fantastic performance. So this one's a little bit different than L, would you say? <laughs> it's a little bit, and yet it's also not so different than L in a lot of ways. Uh, so, you know, it's very different in that it's, it's a lot more, um, palatable and it's not about rape. <laughs> um, but even then. my two biggest complaints mm-hmm. about Elle, so I'm exactly. very interested. But this one also has a cat. Uh, hmm. so there is that. And there's even a scene. Okay. So I'll break down the ways that this character is not so different than Michelle, her character from Elle. Uh, so in both films, she is an accomplished Parisian woman of a certain age, um, who is uh, who is you know has a, a thriving kind of uh, career? In this, she is a uh, a philosophy professor. She's an academic of philosophy. Uh, teaches at a, a Parisian high school, and uh, she is as the film um, progresses. She has her husband of twenty five years leave her very abruptly, um, having met someone else. And so she kind of goes on this, you know, odyssey of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she gradually kind of loses more and more um, of the things that had come to define her. Another of those things is also her mother. She has oh. uh, an, uh, an aging, sick, vain mother, just like okay. an L, okay. um, who, is, um, who is just, you know, sort of a, a great nuisance to her. She is not as 
comedically grotesque as an L. <laughs> she does not have a young hustler wandering around bare mm-hmm. ass with her. Um, but so she has that. Her mother leaves, after her mother dies, her mother leaves her her cat, a black cat named Pandora. <laughs> or uh, with, as that becomes in French, Pandora, Pandora, Pandora. So that lots of that. Lots of Isabella Fair going like, cuckoo, Looking Pandora. For the cat. Uh, yes, so lots of that. Um, and then even though it's not about rape, there is a scene of like kind of a casual sexual assault. <laughs> that okay. gets, uh, there's a scene where she's like in it. The whole thing is so Parisian. Uh, because even like the scene where her husband breaks up with her, it's like handled in like, such like a stoic, <laughs> unemotional yeah, way. And, um, and so there's a scene where she's seeing a movie. She's actually seeing the movie Certified Copy starring Juliette Binoche, which is um, clearly an intentional choice, you know, for what she's watching. Because this movie is very concerned with the passage of time. And that movie is very concerned mm-hmm. with the passage of time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's sitting there and there's a guy sitting next to her is kind of looking at her. And then he, then he just starts to like put his hand like inside her leg. And she just, she, she's not terribly bothered by it. But she kind of is just like, oh, no. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then he kind of like goes in harder and she's just like, oh, la, la, la. and then she's like, gets him just like goes like one row in front. Of him. <laughs> <laughs> and then he like sits behind her and um, and then she leaves the movie and we see her walking in like the dark Paris streets at night. And he's walking like right behind her at length. And eventually she turns around. She's just kind of like, she's like, what are you doing? You know, she's just like, I, you know, I had to miss the, uh, you and you ruined the movie for me as it was. What else do you want? And um, and he like grabs her, and pushes her against a wall and kisses her. And then she's just like, oh, no, thank you. And then she just, like, walks away. Like, so it's a very... France, man. France. Different France. place. Different it's place. A different place. Um, so that's kind of funny. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, she also has adult children in this movie like she does in Elle. So, yeah, like, there's there's a lot of parallels. But, uh, but you know, ultimately this movie... So it's written and directed by um, this filmmaker named uh, Mia Hansen Lowe. Mm. She is, um, she's only 35. Um, and she actually, her parents, she was raised in Paris and her parents were both philosophy teachers. Oh. And in this film, um, Isabelle's, Isabelle's husband also is a philosophy teacher. And uh, this is not the first time that she has used her family for inspiration. Her last film as a director was called Eden. And it was this very kind of sprawling story about the uh like Parisian underground electronic music scene like the rise like the the culture that gave life to like Daft Punk mm. um and her brother his brother Sven was a figure in that world oh. and so she kind of used him as inspiration for that story but so in uh she's a, a, a tremendous filmmaker and she actually won the silver bear for best lion uh <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> I was going to be on like Silver Bear for You a won the Silver Bear this year, from what I understand. <laughs> she won the Silver Bear for Best Director at the Berlin Film Festival. I think Venice gives the line and Berlin gives the bear. I don't know. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so she won the prestigious director prize at Berlin this year for this movie. And uh, so I think that, you know, so in the title in French is L'Avenir, mm-hmm. um, which roughly translated is like that which is on its way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like things are uh, coming, coming up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or, or I guess you could say things to come, I don't, um, but, uh, you know, so she's imagining this life for her mother, um, you know, and I don't know how autobiographical it is. I don't know if her parents actually did separate. Um, but so we're just kind of just drawn into the life of this woman who has spent her entire life just so fiercely advocating for philosophy and for the life of the mind. And we see kind of how that serves her as she is dealt one blow after another, after another. Um, by her life. Hmm. Uh, I'm sort of wondering if what were there any parallels here with one of our favorite movies from last year, um, 45 Years. Mm, mm-hmm. 
in terms uh, of like a long-term marriage suddenly yeah it's 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 uh it's not about the marriage as much mm. it really is about her okay. and um you know and she you know we in you know a lot of time passes like there's kind of like a, there's a prologue of them all on family vacation um some years back and then we jump ahead many years to this kind of present day uh of him leaving her and it, you know it's very brutal uh we know that he he's found another woman and his daughter kind of confronts him and says, like, I know you have another woman and, you know, you need to tell mom, you need to choose. I, that's all I ask. I'm not going to tell her. You just need to choose. And uh, so it's not about, I think, at 45 years, if the entire plot of 45 years had happened in the first 15 minutes and then the rest of it was, like, Charlotte, Ram, Charlotte Ram playing on her own. Okay. Um, kind of dealing with, like, what her life is now. Mm-hmm. That would be closer. But also, in, in you know, in this, you know, her husband is, like, in 45 years, the husband is, like, not going anywhere. The husband is, like, trying to, like, brush under the rug. Right. And it's her who's, like, you know, who's realizing, like, what is happening? You know, what have I done? Who is this person I spent all these years with? Man, I love that movie. I know. <laughs> I uh, want to see that again. This is not, this is a much more pedestrian than the creepy thing that is uh, brought up in 45 years. This mm-hmm. is just, like, garden variety, you know, old man leaving wife for other woman. Okay. Um, so, um, and, uh, and yeah, she just kind of, uh, so she just, she, she kind of immerses herself in, there's a lot of great philosophy talk in this movie. It sounds she, amazing. She immerses herself in her, you know, she teaches high school students and, uh, you know, Paris has always been like a hotbed of sort of like radicalism and, and progressive thought. And so they're like constantly people like protesting outside the school and she's out there having discourse with these protesters and arguing with them and, um, a, a suspiciously handsome former student of hers uh, reemerges in her life, mm. and uh, and just kind of has taken his philosophy into a place of of, of sort of anarchy, and has like a, a, a like a commune in the in the mountains that he is living in, and she will go and visit them. And but you know, it's really just a, it's an intimate, just another intimate portrait. You know, mm. this is an intimate character study portrait. Um, it does have a handful of beautiful musical cues. Uh, you notice that they play a Sandy Denny song they in the trailer. They do in the trailer, yeah. That song is not in the movie. Oh. But there is a, there's a Donovan song in the movie. And then there is my biggest musical discovery in this. There is, guys, do yourself a favor. Look up the version of Unchained Melody. You guys know the song from Ghost by the Righteous Brothers. <laughs> from Ghost. From Ghost. Um, look up the version by... Or Aurora, having been to any wedding ever. Or any wedding ever. And there's a version of that song by uh, uh, an old vocal group called the Fleetwoods. Not Fleetwood Mac, but the Fleetwoods. And they have a, a version of this song that closes the movie. That's one of the most sublimely beautiful things I've ever heard. And it's played over a gorgeous, gorgeous Christmas set sequence that makes this just a perfect December release. I'm actually waiting to it's, hear the song in yeah to you're, see it in the you're movie. waiting yeah i think i think i think you'll you'll appreciate that you waited so if you're going to see the movie don't listen to the song until you've seen the movie <laughs> yes, because when it when it when it comes up it's just like what beauty is this um and uh, it does have it its final scene is is at a a, a a family christmas gathering and it's just so exquisitely gorgeous and uh so it's a it's a perfect december movie um isabella bear if if it wasn't for l which is so much more attention grabbing um, I think things to come would still have really would have would have gotten a lot more attention this year mm-hmm. um, because she's so spectacular in it. And um, and, you know, she kind of is definitely it, it, it's a testament to what a great actress she is when you watch the two films, because she has similarities. Like she's always somewhat stoic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, she has that that then, you know, that praising quality to her. Uh, but you know, she the nuances, the subtleties that she kind of brings to the emotional experiences of the characters are so completely different. She's and, the uh, Amy Adams of France. 
<laughs> I also wish I didn't say France like such a Midwesterner. France, France like, like Moana. So terrible. Do you think that they have Moana in France? I is it called Motropolis? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, and the funny thing is that uh, that Hollywood Reporter roundtable of all the actresses where mm-hmm. Isabella Bear is there, yeah. I was reading the transcript, and it seems like she very much regrets doing that roundtable. Oh, really? Uh, because at the end, they also make fun of her because she has her head in her hands. <laughs> 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 and the interviewer is like, Isabel, you have your head in your hands. Are you trying to disappear? Um, and I think they had just asked them all, like, oh, if they could do any one thing, um, you know, in a role, then what would it be? And Taraji B. Henson is like, that's what she would do. She would disappear. And, uh, and Isabel's like, yes, uh, you've given it to me. That is what I want. I want to disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she also was like fighting back against, uh, you know, the, the interviewers asking about like, oh, you know, is it harder for actresses? You know, just the usual questions actresses about, ask age, about, like, and... about age. And, and she's like, she's like, you know, I did, you know, stop working when I was 30 uh, for a period of time. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's because of this or that, because I think it is a misogynistic question. I do not want to answer it. Uh, I'm just going to go with that French accent every time. I am. I'm going <laughs> to lean into it. I'm going to lean into it because you have to imagine her saying it. Yeah. It was my voice I being like, I won't answer that question because it's misogynistic. See, it doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't have the same effect. No, they're two but, but, different uh, effects. I do worry that this is going to hurt her on the awards trail, though, because she is not very mm. good at doing the bullshit. Yeah. So I think she's, she has, she has no patience. I'm still waiting for that Kermit the Frog red carpet interview about Elle. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait for that. Um, so, well, I think this movie fits into rape culture. <laughs> <laughs> this, I, uh, I am, I am definitely going to check this one out. This seems right up my alley. Um, it seems like a very yes. comfortable movie. It does get a binge it from me, which once again makes this a, an all binge it week. This is all binge it. All uh, they're also there's a pretty common thread through these movies. Uh, women. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> you like find it, find it, find it. it. Yeah, like I know. Yeah, like I know what is between two and three. <laughs> find a way to bring in the first one. Well, there is a loss in the first one too. There is a death. There, and there is. is, and there is sort of like the spirit of a uh, women and it, and it finding is a, their legacy. Yes, uh, in, in legacy. Spite of women tragedy. on women trying to find their identities in the midst of loss. Mm-hmm. Let's go with that. Excellent. Uh, so things come is rated PG thirteen, and it is out now. And that's it. Yes. That's all we have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we are on Twitter. Jason is... At Excess Baggage. I'm at Fight Balance. You can um, also check out our website, thebinge.us. Please do. Uh, and subscribe. Uh, leave a comment. Leave a review on the iTunes store if, if that's uh, what you listen to and you have a few moments. We would really appreciate it. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.